Hey, everybody. Welcome to the TechNet Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. So, Dean, I'm sure your retail buying habits have changed a lot over the last couple of years. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. We've talked about more this. More online, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A little less in-store, a little more online. Right, right. So are you still taking advantage of stuff like Bopus, Ship to Home? Sure, absolutely, know, yes. Those yes. trends that kind of picked up at the height of the pandemic. Not absolutely. going away anytime soon, Not going right? away, no, yeah, but I think I'm we can yeah, doing that. curbside yeah, still, even to this day, you know. Yeah, right, absolutely, right. yeah. Well, that's a big part of what we're talking about today. Ah. We're going to dive in a little bit into into retail and mm. how retail's changed, mm-hmm. how the inventory side of things is, is a lot different than it used to be because... Oh, I'm returning you know, a lot of stuff now. There you go. A a, am I a culprit here? Am I part of the issue? I don't know if it's a culprit, but it's just the trend, <laughs> you know? Like, And and retail stores have to keep up with this yes. trend and where yes. things are going. Yeah. So we're going to get into that, and we're going to get into RFID in particular Ooh, as yeah. being an enabler of some of these new trends. Got it. Uh, we have Dean Fru with us on today from yep. SML RFID. Uh, we're going to get into some of the some statistics that they came up with when some studies they did about retail that I think mm. will be a little eye opening to understand about where we are right now, what's happening. Okay, we'll talk about maybe what Dean sees is you know is is the trends that are going to continue, what's going to change, better for worse. Nice. We'll talk about Bopus 2.0. This was Whoa. not a concept I'd heard of. Bopus 2.0. Uh, but I, I I'm intrigued by it. I think we need mm-hmm. to talk more about mm-hmm. that. We'll get into RFID obviously as the enabler for these transitions. Yep. Talk about how retailers are changing their attitudes, the whole distribution strategy that comes in retail now it's a little different than before 100 percent. yeah we got a lot Absolutely. of interesting stuff to cover some some potential good opportunities for our our vars here good too. good that's so. what it's all about opportunity man that's right. right yep all that plus our usual value to the var and what's tech connecting with us it's time to plug in and get connected welcome to the tech connect podcast it's time to get connected As I mentioned, our guest today is Dean Fru. He is the CTO and Senior Vice President of RFID Solutions for SML Group. Uh, Dean, thanks so much for joining us today. Appreciate having you on the show. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation, but tell us a little about yourself, your background. How did you get into this whole retail RFID space? Um, thanks, John and Dean. Nice to meet you. Um, you know, basically, uh, engineer started working for Texas Instruments for 20, for 15 years and then started doing some startups. And in one of those startups after that, uh, I was our representative at MIT where we were establishing UHF RFID standards. And uh, from that, I started a company, Venture Funded. Um, and in 2013, I sold that company to SML. And... Um, Ran a, ran a division, and now I run that division and am CTO of the company, um, focused around our RFID business. Um, so it's an exciting time. Um, been in it for 20, 20 years, basically. And so I've watched it from basically being a little baby crawling around to what is now uh, um, a full-fledged teenager running crazy. So it's good. <laughs> Dean has been waiting a long time for RFID no doubt. to be embraced and start running. Yeah, yeah, well, that also obviously lends to his credentials here that he, he's, oh, he's ex- experienced it from the early days. Absolutely. Sees where it's where it's been, where it's where it's at now, where it's going. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to be uh, good for us for this conversation. Uh, so 100%. let's let's get into this then. Let's yeah. talk about yeah, yeah. this, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, uh, RFID and retail. And in particular, we're going to get into item level RFID. We'll explain a little more about 
about that later too. But I want to start off with some some of these studies that SML did back in 2021, which is you know great point to kind of examine what's mm-hmm. happening in retail because we we were a year plus into mm-hmm. the pandemic, mm-hmm. all the big shifts and changes and dynamic mm-hmm. of retail had already kind of occurred. Mm-hmm. So it's a good point to kind of take stock of what's happening. There's a few statistics I want to call out here in particular. Um, so this was a survey you did with 500 apparel executives in the U.S. and the U.K. It was over spring and summer of, of 2021. Three big stats that stood out to me. One was their biggest challenges, uh, that 48% said out of stocks, 42% unclear inventory, and 22% said it was taking too long to find items. Mm. Uh, on the side of uh, inventory counts in particular, I found this one fascinating. On average, staff members spend 14.6 hours per week executing inventory-related tasks. That's counting, receiving, finding, transferring, with some respondents claiming this can take as much as 36 hours per week. That's basically a A full-time employee. Yeah. That's just doing inventory. Running around doing stuff, inventory, right. yeah. And then the other stat that really stood out to me was only 12% of respondents were saying that they were performing physical counts on a daily basis, which, mm. again, I guess if it's taking this long to do it, I sure. guess I kind of understand that. Yeah, right. So let's 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 talk about that a little bit more, Dean. Help us you know, uncover these numbers and what they say. We're a year, obviously, past those surveys now. We're getting into the latter part of 2022. How would you grade the kind of the current state of retail? Is it getting better? Is it worse? Is it about the same as it was then? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that, you know, we should think about is that in the late 70s, Wrigley put a barcode on a piece of gum, right? And for 50 years, we've been using the same technology to manage inventory at the SKU level. And so it's not surprising that um, we have issues as, um, you know, much like you were talking about with Dean early on in the, at the intro, Consumers have changed the way we change the way we want to shop, and the days are gone where an e-com order is always going to be re- be placed out of a DC. The the retailers are having to use their stores as replenishment vehicles um, for consumers, and so um, you know that's not going to change. Um, I think that the study, one of the things it highlighted was um, the disruption that we saw, which was, in my opinion, the biggest disruption in the history of the world to supply chains during COVID, where we had one end of the pipe shut down, the other end of the pipe shut down, one end of the pipe come back alive, and the other end of the pipe come back alive later. And that pipe of product flowing to markets was it was gra- drastic, drastically um, disrupted. So, you know, they're still dealing with that. They're dealing with that today with uh, what we're seeing with inflation. And I think the bottom line is, what we're seeing is, as retailers are, um, it's essential that they have a responsive system to be able to respond to the changes, either in supply or in demand or both. And some of the results that came out of that study in 2021 still hold today. Um, and the the only way to be able to solve that problem is to have a better view of what's going on. I mean, you know, retailers won't didn't mention it in the study, but most retailers are only operating at around 70 or less than 70% inventory accuracy. So imagine today if, John, if you order something from a store and they are overstated by 15% in their ERP, they very well might think they have that blue shirt that you want. But when, you, but when, you, when they go to pick it, they find out that they don't have it. And thus, they cancel the order with you. And we all know what that does to us as consumers. So anyway, bottom line is the the world is changing. 
um, to an item level world, it's going to have to in retail because they're going to have to have that level of fidelity and real-time accuracy of inventory. That's exactly right. I mean, when you think about it, it, there's so much interest that I got out of this particular survey. I mean, what a dichotomy. When 48% say the biggest challenge is out of stocks, right? Right, right. But only 12% are doing daily counts. I mean, there's the disconnect. And and the the market pressures on retailers to, to automate and to get this information is immense at this point in time. I mean, because consumers are demanding that, right? If I go online and I think that I've ordered that blue shirt, but it's not, that that is that is the problem, right? Right, right? Therein lies the problem. So what technology do we have to get down to the item level to expedite that? And I know obviously we're going to get into that, but but that's where we need to be. As an industry, that's where we need to be to start helping to enable these retailers to get to there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And if, if I could add just... Just real quick. I mean, one of the things that's compounding this is think about as labor requirements have moved into the store, we put more pressure on labor in the store. And in an inefficient world where they're running around trying to find things, we're we're compounding the problem. We're adding demand into the store for inventory transactions. And yet our staff is not increasing because one, in some places they can't find staff. So we're having to drive the labor efficiency component to this is something that is underlying some of the challenges that retailers are having today. Yeah, 100% agree on that, right? Yeah. I mean, even when you when you have the employees, and there's there's obviously a move for those employees to be more front of house, to be, because, right, you want the better customer experience, mm-hmm. and you want to have that associate interacting with a customer, not in the back trying to pick, pack, and ship right. <laughs> like yeah. you would in yeah. a warehouse. Yeah, so. back in my retail days, like I was, I was either the person that was out on the floor, knows where everything was, mm. or... I was spending, you know, to your point, you know, hours in the back room, unboxing, pulling stuff out, figuring where everything was. But man, I, I, this was early two thousands. Like I, I remember distinctly this, always that feeling of, you know, you mentioned the the you know the inventory levels and not having exactly what you expected or thought you were supposed to have, whatever the computer said. What was one of the most frustrating things to mm-hmm. me is when I, a customer would come in and ask for something, and I'd look in the computer and it would say, "Yeah, you have three of these in stock." nowhere to be found. <laughs> and it was either that they just simply weren't there and we had in- incorrect, you know, levels, you know, numbers in there or it was in a box somewhere in the back still, it was in the wrong place in the store, it had been held aside for somebody else. A million different reasons why it could potentially have been in the wrong place. And that was just, you know, again, we're talking, you know, early 2000s when like and I was in a bookstore, so the early, you know, the mm-hmm. only real com- competition online was Amazon was still in its fledgling days. Oh, sure, you know, right? Just yeah. kind of starting to ramp up. You know, our biggest competition was, you know, the nearest grocery store or mm-hmm. Sam's or something might have books on a little bit deeper <laughs> discount than us. So, you know, I, you know, I wasn't worried too much about losing customers, you know, because like, they didn't really have too many other places to go. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it's like for a retailer now, mm-hmm. knowing that, like, hey, if you don't have something when someone asks for it, you potentially have lost that customer forever. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a million other places where they can probably get this and get yeah. it right now when they want it. Yeah. And if you aren't the one that can do it and you have those inaccurate numbers and you can't even accurately tell them what you do or don't have, or someone orders something from you mm-hmm. and you have to tell them, oh, sorry, we didn't actually have this after all. Mm-hmm. When they've driven out and shown up at your store, that's the kind of stuff is just, you know, you're just damaging your reputation now, especially Absolutely. again in this fast paced, yeah. modern, give it to me right now sort of environment here. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So Dean, you know, a, a lot of what uh, SML refers to in their articles is this idea of BOPUS 2.0. Can you explain that concept and how it differs from the BOPUS that we all think about? Yeah, so BOPUS 1.0 is almost a 
I hope I have it. I'm going to commit and hope I have it. Okay. And just because of that issue of the distortion of what their real inventory is versus what they think they have. And what's happening now with customers that we have all over the world is that they're moving to be able to confidently commit to John that that blue shirt is there and he can come pick it up this afternoon. Okay. And it, it's a game changer for consumers because to the point it's going to be used as a competitive weapon in against retailers against each other. Okay. I mean, we're very used to the Amazon prime world where, you know, think about their success rate of delivering to you at home, whether it be paper towels or batteries or um, clothing now. Um, and, and so what we're seeing is, is this, the bar has been raised by the Amazons of the world to be the, the level of confidence that a consumer expects is extremely high. And the only way to do that is to the simple fact of knowing what you have. Um, you know, we, you would, uh, you know, the, the investments that have gone into AI, which are kind of hilarious to me because they're operating on data that's 30% inaccurate. Okay. And so when we talk about, let's, let's deal with the fundamental, which is what do we really have? And now how do we help the retailer make better decisions so that they can service customers more effectively? And that's, you know, BOPUS 2.0, think about it. I mean, the order drops the a retailer then uses the RFID capability to go item level find with a Geiger counter, the item. So there's no more of this, um, you know, 30%, 40% cancel rates in stores when you're using item level RFID in a BOPUS 2.0 environment. And, and the key thing is we're not changing the order management system. The order management system stays the same. It's just the way it's executed that's different. Enhancing that overall or the, the infrastructure to a certain degree that's already in, in place, right? To, to enable that. Yeah. 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 There's this, you know, think about it. There's a SKU level fabric, we call it, that is their existing ERP systems. And they do their jobs really well. But what's happening is, is that retailers are adopting this item level system fabric that sits underneath it that makes, that makes it easier for them to do it, the SKU level world, like the order management system and so on. So a lot of changes going on um, in stores and in warehouses. Definitely. Well, then let's get into this RFID portion. Mm -hmm. You mentioned yeah. this already in the item level aspect here. And obviously, this is going to be a big enabler, I think, for this transition to to this BOPUS 2.0, where you can confidently say, yes, we have this. You know, mm -hmm. there shouldn't be, I mean, no ambiguity. I would yet. hope that at least 99% accuracy, you know, if, if not even expecting better than that, frankly, mm -hmm. most of the time. Mm -hmm. So how does, you know, RFID tagging down to this item level, instead of looking at bulk, you know, or a whole box worth of stuff, you know, how does getting it down to this level, and I think you've already touched on this, how does this address retailers' concerns? How does it address customer expectations right now? Yeah, I mean, um, an example, we've got one customer who they do a cycle count every night. Every night of everything in every store. That's impressive. Mm -hmm. Okay, in one hour. Wow. Ooh. So they so they close the doors to the mall. They scan tens of thousands of items in every store every night. They reset their inventory for their BOPUS orders the next day. And they drop the orders to the store. They pick the orders. They confidently tell John that the item is there. Or they tell John it's it's shipping out this afternoon on UPS. And there's this new... It's it's interesting because what it's doing is it's, it's, it's facilitating 
an accurate, timely, um, confident transaction that then is building loyalty to the brand, just like what we've done with Amazon. Amazon doesn't have any brand, right? I mean, it's, its brand is fulfilling our orders. But what retailers are doing is they're using the efficiency and confidence of that process to build a to build loyalty to the brand. Okay. And so if I'm somebody orders something from that store, I'm going to do it just because of the convenience. I needed that dress. I needed that pair of slacks and they're doing it. And we're seeing this across the world in, you know, we're installed in 5,500 stores right now and managing over 280 million items every week. And so, you know, what we're seeing is this, this, it's an opportunity to use the technology to build uh, brand loyalty and brand awareness by saying not only do they build a good product, but they know how to fulfill the the order when I want it, kind of thing. And there's a lot in there, though, Dean. Let's let's unpack a couple of those things. I mean, obviously, the convenience factor. When you can boil it down using RFID technology down to the item level, that's adding a level of convenience for right. the consumer. It's adding a level of convenience, honestly, for the employee. We mm-hmm. talk all the time oh, yeah. about employees that want to work at places that have modern technology right. right and so being able to walk around with a sled or or whatever mm-hmm. and 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 do your cycle counts in an hour that's impressive Ten thousand items come on yeah uh, it, whereas that would that would take hours like i remember back days. in the day shutting down for like a saturday oh, sure, evening for sure bringing in a third party company to come yeah. in and count everything in the store that's right and even then it still wasn't was never 100 percent accurate not wildly accurate so dean talk to us a little bit let's go down a path here of how we or how you enable part of that to, to occur because there's some things there's some learnings here and, and maybe we can dive into the tag side or or whatnot because I know that you guys are very involved in that in helping your customers understand and actually come up with solutions around getting tags all the way down to the item level whether it's in a box right whether it's in the packaging of, of the box or whether if it's a piece of clothing it's the tag you know that's sewn in or something like that can you can you talk a little bit about you know, where you spend some time and, and how you try to help these retailers get there by understanding the tag element of, of the whole thing <laughs> yeah for sure Dean I mean now, there are three components of, a, of an item level RFID system. The first one is the tag. The second one is the reader hardware. And the third one is the enterprise software. And on the tag side, um, you know, we produced just under 3 billion encoded RFID tags last year for retailers. Okay. And um, 98% of those are being done at source. And so the factory in Vietnam doesn't know the difference. They're ordering today a price ticket. Tomorrow, when they order RFID, they order a price ticket. It's encoded. It's printed. It shows up in a box. They unpack the box and they, they swift it onto a garment or sticker it onto a box. They don't even know that there's RFID in it. Okay, That's the misnomer is that this is going to be disruptive for the factories. The factories don't know any different. Okay, And we have um, a complete data management system that allows the retailer to place orders and the, and the factory to place orders with us so that those orders are delivered in country within a few days. Okay. It's really simple. I mean, there's an upfront part. You have to build inventory months in advance of when you want it in the store, just because of the normal flow. Um, and it's a core piece of our business. I mean, it's what SML was doing before RFID was making price tickets and care labels. 
We make stickers, we make hang tickets, we make hundreds of millions of sew-ins that go into garments um, as well, go on to boxes, go on to fragrance and cosmetics that go on to um, home goods, sporting goods, etc. So we have a whole team of people that basically work with the merchandising team to see what that looks like. And, and it's pretty mainstay. I mean, it's pretty, you know, you know, mainstream now. I mean, it's well understood the sources of tags. We, you know, the, the secret sauce is in actually the encoding process, being able to make sure that you don't duplicate serial numbers. Cause that would be the worst, right? If there were three blue, if there were three blue t-shirts, that were the same style, size, and color, but had the same serial number, it would only show up as one. And so um, having an encoding system that prevents any of that worldwide, wherever you are in the world making products. So anyway, that's the tag part. And then you have the hardware part, which of course we partner with uh, Blue Star um, to purchase uh, the majority of our hardware from. And um, Zebra is our premier partner um, in that space. And um, and then, of course, the enterprise software, which is our other piece of intellectual property, um, cloud-based, Microsoft Azure hosted. Um, but uh, that's the, the secret sauce on our side is how to manage the applications on handhelds and tunnels and things like that. Well, there it is. I mean, when you talk about partner en or enabling, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you really have to have because, you know, I can imagine there's a lot of resellers, a lot of old barcode, you know, resellers out there that maybe have dipped a toe in RFID or not, um, you know. Where is the future? And we've had many conversations about this with, you know, anywhere from Pete Collins from A to B to whatever saying, mm. you know, the world is going to be a blend of barcode technology, RFID right. technology. Not a replacement so thing anymore. It's not a replacement. It's, just, it's a handshake or yeah. it's a it's a, you know, the two of them walking together kind of right. thing, at least right. for, for right now. So. Um, but understanding and enabling folks through the conversation on the tag front, to me, is one of those that you, you, you have to have kind of up front. And I like, Dean, that yep. you kind of painted a picture where it's the merchandising teams getting together, right? So you, you have to have somebody who can talk that talk, walk that walk, or a partner like SML that can <laughs> that you can work with right. to enable that portion of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Because how else are we going to get down to the item level? Yeah, you, you got to exactly. get a tag on that item yep. at the end of the road. Yep. Yeah. Man, I, I love... I I think my favorite thing about this is, and you referenced it earlier on, Dean, is this idea that if someone, if you're looking for a specific item, and again, in, in retail stores, let's be honest, stuff never is where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. People pick something up, decide yeah. they don't want it. Oh, they walk over here. Stick it somewhere else, yeah, random. Right. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to say I haven't been guilty of that from time to time, too. <laughs> I try to be cognizant of it, remembering my days in retail, you know, not right. to do that, yeah. that kind of stuff. But just the idea of being able to quickly and easily track down something, because again, mm -hmm. you know, you, a customer comes in, asks for something, you look it up, it says you've got one, you go looking for it, it's not where it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. either you're hunting all over the store or you eventually you give up and you lose that customer. Yeah. The idea of being able to just go, mm -hmm, oh, it's over there. I'm yeah. going to go track exactly where it's at. I, I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And I think that kind of blends into what we're going to talk about next year too, which is, again, this kind of changing attitude mm -hmm. in retailers about what they actually are. It's not, you're not just a place for people to come buy stuff mm -hmm. that a lot of retailers. And we talked about this uh, with Tony Boncourt, I think mm -hmm. from um, uh, Honeywell, Honeywell a couple weeks ago, this idea that, you know, uh, distribution and manufacturing is all starting to get kind of built into one, mm -hmm. one big, you know, puzzle piece with, with, uh, with the actual retail stores themselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of retail stores are kind of becoming distribution centers of sorts. Mm -hmm. If you have enough inventory in stock, maybe you're either you're shipping it out, you're moving it around to 
other stores. You know, it's not just we have what we have, they have what they have, and that's it. Then, you know, never the two shall meet. You know, <laughs> you can do a transfer, but it's going to take a week and a half or something like that for that to happen. It's, right. it's a little more, you know, intuitive now. So, Dean, help us kind of break that down and, and, and talk about, you know, the idea that um, the attitudes towards distribution, manufacturing, as far as when, whether it's a retail, you know, a, a new retail venture that's starting up. <laughs> or somebody that's kind of trying to open up new stores, expand their business, how are they thinking about this as kind of one big, uh, one big solution now? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the companies that are in the forefront of change, and I think that's the biggest challenge in retail is changing. I mean, they've been doing it this way for 15, 20 years. And so um, the ones that are in the forefront are recognizing that they truly have a single inventory pool. Some of it's in a DC, some of it's in... You know, 80% of their inventory typically is in stores, if not more for larger retailers. And so um, they don't think of it anymore as warehouse and store. They think of it as inventory. I have an inventory pool. I want to know what I have in each location. And if I need to place an order, if I need to move things, I need to have, I need to be very accurate in what I have so that I can decide to trigger a operational process to move, to sell, to pick. Um, etc. And, um, you know, it's a fundamental change. The biggest, you know, we get the question a lot. Well, listen, RFID has been around for a long time. What's what's the big deal? Well, first off, I mean, when we first started, we could barely read from a meter away. Okay, we got the the handhelds read, you know, 20 tags per second, we're reading 200 tags per second now, etc. So, the technology had to grow up. The, the manufacturing technology had to grow up. And now we're at a place where that's the case. And so, you know, the, what's happened now is that, you know, the change management piece of moving from SKU level to item level enterprise is a big deal. Not a big deal to implement, but a big deal to get your head wrapped around. Um, and so, you know, most customers, most retailers we're dealing with have never done an RFID project before. Okay, so think about it. If it's a point of sale system or it's a warehouse management system, you know, you've got half a dozen people that have gone through three cycles or four cycles of upgrades. But when it comes to item level RFID, it's not. And so, you know, the, the customers that are out there in the front are the ones who are starting with a clean sheet of paper and saying the world is different. We need to acknowledge that. Right. We need to go through a 12 step program and acknowledge that we have a problem and 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 change it. Okay. And um, and so what we're seeing is more and more retailers are looking at financial results of their competitors. They're you know it's it's turning into a CFO C level discussion rather than a director of IT with a science fair project. Okay, and I think that's a good sign, right? I mean, but to us, the limitation is no longer technology. The limitation is the change management functionality or the change management culture in these retailers to think differently. Always so hard to buck, right? I mean, we see it endlessly in other areas like Mm -hmm. point of sale systems that are 15 years old. I was just talking to one of the chefs that we use on Bon Appetit, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the technology and it's it's really old, but but it works, right? right? And so there's, but there's not a lot of pressure to change your point of sale system like there is the pressure to change a retail environment to face BOPIS and and we haven't even gotten into like the return nightmare that, what what was it? (laughs) 28% of BOPIS uh, orders have a cancellation rate? Yeah. 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 So now you got this, you got this reverse 
reverse logistics nightmare that we've talked yep. about in the past. It, you know, I mean, it's just it's 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 creating a world. And Dean, I think it's really well put that, that you said. You know, if they're new retailers, obviously they got an in. It's a mm-hmm. fresh start. It's a clean slate. Uh, when we yep. think about the cannabis industry, I can't I can't think of a better example than yeah. the cannabis industry. A lot of new, a lot folks, of, a lot of new, new dispensaries, yeah. a lot of new grow facilities. Yep. A lot of these folks are using RFID right out of the gate because you know it just it makes sense. Well, right. the first off, they got to tag it. They got to know right. it through the whole growth uh, process. But but and so it makes a lot of sense. But there's a you know a unique environment where it, it definitely holds on to. So um, but but trying to transition those folks that have been in the grind, if you will, of the technology that they have. Um, I don't know. I, I can I can see that that would be a little bit hard to have that conversation. But man, the pressures are there, right? Oh, and yeah. so, really well said, Dean. Now that's getting all the way up to the sea level because these are now business decisions yeah. that are making yeah. meaningful um, uh, operations. Yeah, I mean, we call it a burning platform. Yeah, there's a burning platform to cause people to jump now, and um, and and where you know even before COVID there was, but not like now. Yeah. It's dramatically changed. And, and, you know, you think about it, this gets down to a personal level. These people, are they willing to take a risk with their career to do something new? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we, we tend to forget that in the technology geek world, right? But when it comes down to it, people are making people decisions. That's right. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> you know, and we tend to think, well, of course, it's obvious to us. I mean, there's a return on investment and there's in this, but somebody who is three or four years away from retirement or whatever, are, there's a risk component that uh, that we're trying to help clients with by just having more and more success stories. Dean, yeah. Can I get a quick take from you, Dean? On you know, yeah. I can uh, I can always imagine this technology being you know heavily discussed at what I would call a tier one retailer level. Are you starting to see yeah. it come down to the tier three, tier two, tier three, almost even down to the SMB? Uh, or where do you see where is your play right now? I mean, again, my my perception is, oh, well, this is at the tier one level using item level uh, RFID. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's down into a smaller size retail establishment. Your take? Yeah, I mean, we've got customers that have one store. Oh well, there you go. Okay, and we have cu- and we have customers with five thousand stores. All right, there's the answer. Okay, and so it, I, I go back to the cultural thing. It's about where is the culture to say we've got to do something different. And what we're finding is, is there's no there's no pattern. I mean, we break the market into 700 stores and above 250 to 700 and less than 250. And we're seeing basically customers coming in across that whole spectrum. Now, their model that they want might be a little different, meaning they might want SaaS more than they want CapEx or something like that. But but the technology is the same, the business case is the same, and we as a technology provider have got to deliver an enterprise software solution that scales from one store to 5,000 stores, okay? Because at this stage of adoption, I'm a huge fan of Jeffrey Morris crossing the chasm, and you know, at this stage of adoption, every single success is beneficial to a technology company, regardless of the revenue potential. Well said. You know, I was yeah. hopeful that you would say that, that, it, that we would start seeing this. Although I was at a cigar shop the other day and man, they are not at this level because <laughs> there's two guys behind the counter and they had a new shipment in and, and they're looking at a box and they're like, oh, I think it has 16 cigars in that one. They're like, oh, I don't know. They open it up. And there's only 12. Oh, wow. And, so, but he, and then the guy puts it back up and he says, ah, don't worry about it. Oh. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? Don't worry about it. So I, my, you know, my spidey sense right, went up right. around, yeah. you know, inventory and warehouse management. Anyway. 
but uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done out there. But that, but that's awesome that you got it down to the store level because right, those folks are the ones that need to compete as well. Oh yeah, uh, and they have to be able to compete in this Bopus type world, this online in world, this clarity on inventory level. Right, they have right. to be there. Well, it's it, it goes back again to what we were talking about earlier. This idea that everybody knows that you can go to the big dog tier one stores or online mm -hmm. and you're likely going to find what you want. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people prefer to shop locally or maybe it's yeah. just more convenient oh, right. or yeah. easier. For you sure. Know. So again, if, if they want to feel like that local shopping is just as good, if not better of an experience, maybe the experiential part is going to be better. We, they mm -hmm. know that. Mm -hmm. But from a I just want to get what I want to get perspective, mm -hmm. if they're walking into the small mom and pop shop and they can't manage their inventory correctly and are always have inaccurate numbers, don't mm -hmm. have what they're supposed to have, mm -hmm. have too much of what they need, you know, if, if it's if that stuff is happening, and again, it's going to people are going to remember like, all right, fine, I, I this store is just worthless to me. I know I can go to yeah. Walmart and get what I want to right. get there. I yeah. can always find. I don't like going there, but I'll go there because they always have what I need in this yeah. other place. It's more convenient, doesn't. yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, I to me in my mind, I would think it would behoove those much smaller businesses to think about, man, if this is a way that I can guarantee that I get to hold on to those customers mm -hmm. and stay competitive and stay competitive. Why yeah. wouldn't you, yeah. why wouldn't you want to lean into that and that's do right. that? Yeah. And, and that's hopefully a conversation. Yeah, one thing real, real, real quick. One, one final thing on that is that we're seeing a movement for brands that have got a wholesale channel. Okay. The smaller, the smaller retail opportunities are coming from brands that are needing to tag for larger, larger retail wholesale customers. So somebody who's tagging for Walmart, somebody who's tagging for Nordstrom, somebody who's tagging for Macy's has their own stores. And so they've, they've solved the biggest problem for the small, medium business. And that is, how do you tag things? Because they don't own their own brand. And so, so what's happening is, is all these brands that are tagging up for their wholesale channel are now saying, we're going to use this in our own stores. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Makes all sense. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. All right. Well, I want to help our VARs know maybe where they should be focusing their efforts to, to dig in and, mm -hmm. and position some item level RFID. But before we do that, I want to, as always, thank the Tech Connect sponsors for yep. our Tech Connect program mm -hmm. and for the podcast in particular. We could not do this show without you. We appreciate your support for us uh, every week and every year. Uh, hey, if you like this show and you want to tell us that you like the show, we, we want to know. Yeah, uh, you don't know, be shy. I mean, we, we assume that enough people are still downloading and watching that it must mean you enjoy <laughs> it, you know, unless you just, I don't know, maybe it's a schadenfreude thing or you just want to watch us stumble <laughs> over ourselves and you enjoy that. Could be, I don't know. But either way, if you have a review for us, uh, let us know if you're on uh, Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Leave us a review on uh, Apple in particular. Leave us a five-star rating in review. We want to hear from you, know what you think of the show, what you like. Uh, if you you know if you if you're watching on YouTube, yeah, hit the like button for this mm -hmm. episode. It'll drop us a comment. Subscribe to our channel. Always, uh, yes. you always want to be subscribed to our Blue Star Inc. YouTube channel. We're doing lots of cool stuff there. New video all the time. We we love doing videos. So absolutely, we're gonna find interesting stuff there. And hey. If you have a suggestion for a topic for the show, yes, we want to hear from you. All right? Who do you want to hear from? Uh, you know, we we try to bring in brilliant people like Dean on a regular basis to to talk with us about topics. But is there someone we've missed? Is there someone you want us to have a conversation with? Uh, is there a particular topic we have not dove into yet that you want to learn more about? Do you want us to go back to something we talked about back in twenty twenty? Right? We got to revisit, and do a it? refresh, yeah. mm -hmm. and revisit, mm -hmm. whatever. Whatever you want to hear about, we want to know that from you. So if you go to the link in the show notes, there's always a link there to give us uh, submissions for topics on the mm -hmm. podcast. And just for submitting one, whether we use it or not, 
we will send you a Tech Connect podcast T-shirt. Uh, it's a nice, comfortable T-shirt. You know, it's it's one you're going to want to wear around. It's you know, it's soft. It's, it's comfortable. It is. It's soft. Yeah. It's the kind you want to throw on at night. You know, after a long That's day. That's right. And just yes, relax yes. 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 While listening to your favorite podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so if you've got some ideas for the show, please submit those to us. We'd love to hear from you. We want this to be a show that you get something out of. Uh, and as always, if you want to stay in touch with us, you can always find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod. You can also email us anytime, TechConnect at BlueStarInc.com. All right, let's wrap up here, first of all, with our value to the VAR. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, we've had this in-depth conversation about how item-level RFID and item-level, yep. you know, for retailers, yep. being able to hone in on specific items all the way down, you know, to that very simple item itself. Uh, understanding the whole distribution aspect of things. There's a lot of stuff I think we've covered here. But, I, you know, I think a big question maybe for our VARs may be like, all right, well, where do I start? Is this, is item level RFID make sense for every retailer? Is it only for certain retailers? So, Dean, where do you think, um, you know, what are the right types of retail? Can just anybody do this? Or is there certain places where it makes more sense than others? Yeah, I mean, clearly because of the re-tagging situation, um, somebody who owns their own supply chain is the low-hanging fruit. Okay, so if you look at the big success stories in the world are companies that have largely controlled their own supply chain. You know, Inditex, um, which is Zara, H&M, which is our client, um, and uh, others. And so, you know, but at the smaller level, there are a lot of brands, as I mentioned, that are currently buying hardware from VARs out there. And there's an opportunity for them to partner with somebody like ourselves to basically help deliver a full solution and let the VAR get some in, get some uh, revenue out of it. And I think that's the message I would give is, you know, don't try to go build this yourself. Try to partner with somebody like ourselves and let and take a piece of the pie. We're more than willing to partner with people um, that can do that. And so, um, but... You know, there are a lot of VARs out there that are servicing that uh, lower tier vertically integrated retailer. Focus there because that's the, the simplest way of getting from a proof of concept or pilot into some kind of a rollout, which is where the, the opportunity is for the VAR and for the enterprise company like us. Bingo. I think Dean's being a little bit too modest here in the sense that, <laughs> you know, if you are a traditional barcode reseller or any kind of reseller, if you're in POS or whatnot and you're looking for a partner, we always talk about partnerships. Yep. SML yep. is a great partner because yep. they, they do everything, as we as we already mentioned, from packaging. They can help with that right. uh, on, on turnkey solutions around packaging needs. Uh, they can help with labels and, ex and accessories. We talked a little bit about that, but even though Dean rattled off at least five different versions uh, of labels that <laughs> they can help execute right, and, and right. design and and build in you need a partner like that oh and oh by the way the software aspect of it yeah sml's got that too so anyway right. i mean when you look at the, the the type of partnership that's gonna that you can walk in the door with some confidence and and help your customers build out these solutions that they honestly really need especially in the retail space uh the great partners like that are always the win right right that, yeah. that's what you want to yeah, do definitely yeah. so you know and i was thinking like you know when i think about specific types of retailers i know so fashion and apparel is a big one for SML that you guys, you know, kind of go to market with and talk mm -hmm. to a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think to me where that seems to fit in is this idea of if you have a if, if your customers have a product that, you know, there are maybe very varied shapes, sizes, colors, all the same thing. You know, mm -hmm. again, thinking mm -hmm. of like apparel, you know, a mm -hmm. shirt, mm -hmm. a blue shirt can come in 
five or six different sizes could come in a multitude of colors, mm -hmm. uh, maybe slightly different variations of, you know, brand or design or something like that. So I think the more the more opportunity where there is for inventory to get mixed up that somewhat looks similar, I think this item level, you know, tagging type aspect or whatever can kind of help help with that muddled mess a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that occurs to me is I, I feel like, and Dean, tell me if I'm wrong here, that that this can really help out retailers that are kind of staying on top of or or can you know their their inventory can be at the whim of a specific trend or some ah, a, a hot topic or not yes. again i'm going to reference one last time here my days in retail at a bookstore uh oprah's book club right whenever oprah would announce something new on her book club which a lot of times we wouldn't know ahead of time mm -hmm. or maybe she would just even have just a random guest on who would promote a book that people got excited about and suddenly everyone's filing into the store asking for this book. <laughs> if you're lucky, you had a couple copies of it on hand. The printers start ramping up because they didn't know this was going to happen. There wasn't a good chain you know, to, mm -hmm. to get this conversation started. And I, I think it would have been so much nicer to have some kind of easy way for, and this was you know, not just the RFID side, but just the interconnectivity between you know, stores in general, yeah, right. to be able to really say like, all right, this book is suddenly hot. Let's suddenly let's take inventory of everything we've got everywhere we've got it. Yeah. Is it a business book that's going to play better at a downtown yeah. store? You know, I, I feel like there's a there's an opportunity here when you get down to this item level mm -hmm. aspect to to really hop on board when a hot trend or a hot item occurs, whether it's a celebrity that's you know carrying a new purse or whatever that suddenly everyone wants. They see them you know at a show or in a photo or something. Or just you know something that got promoted in a certain way on television mm -hmm. or in a movie or whatever. Dean, is this does this kind of item level RFID help out with that kind of thing too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the challenge in those kind of situations is the supply chain is the limiting item, and so um, what what we see in retailers that have those coming is they're usually they're pretty well planned out. We don't have the Oprah bookstore book club kind of situation, which sounds horrifying to me as a retailer. Okay. But, um, but again, any retailer that's moving from a one stop, one short store or 10 store, 12 store type of environment to an online environment where they're going to use their stores as distribution centers to fill orders. That's a great example of someone who is, um, has a, has a hot product. And we're working with two brands right now that are in that. They started out as a single store and maybe an online business, and now they're expanding to 20 stores. Um, their brand is going crazy, and they they can't afford to go put all their inventory in a DC and try to pick from there. So they're going to have to use their 20 stores for BOPAs. And again, there's an example that ties to what you talked about, John, is um, you know the responsiveness, the ability to think ahead of time to make that happen is really useful for retailers. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Yep. Good point. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, hopefully you got some good tips for where to start this item level yes. RFID conversation. Yes. And obviously, again, if you want to partner, uh, reach out to us. We'll be happy to put you in touch with SML to, yep. to, to get connected with them and, and help you enable this. Because it sounds like you guys know what you're doing and you've got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of great customers that uh, appreciate what you're doing, too. A couple billion tags out there. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, yeah. So uh, let's wrap up, as always, with our favorite segment, What's Tech Connecting With You? This is where we get to talk about something in the world of science, yes. tech, business, innovation, something that's you know got our attention that we're kind of you know excited about or interested mm -hmm. in or maybe it's something that's terrifying us right now so uh <laughs> dean i'll let you start what's tech connecting with you right now the biggest thing is i bought a battery powered snowblower for my cabin oh nice okay yeah 
unbelievable. <laughs> okay. It just, it was, it's game changing. Okay. Because the, the cabin is at altitude. So you have issues associated with a carburetor being clogged when you go to need it. Because you only need it twice a year, right? When you get to the cabin and maybe once while you're there. And so, so it was my first foray into lithium powered proper, you know, equipment. And um, I'm pretty sold on it. So I don't know about a car yet, but, uh, or a truck, but uh, at least for a snowblower, it's proper. It works. So, you know, I'm with awesome. you here. I, I, um, I've been slowly transitioning a lot to over to a lot of battery powered stuff myself. Mm, yeah. I, I, my biggest one over the last year was a, a weed whacker. Uh huh. And yep. it was one of those things I'd, I'd had a gas one for the longest time. Yep. And I always had issues with it. Just, you know, I don't know. There was just, it was one of those things where it was almost too much mechanics for its own good. Yes. And then I, so I transitioned over to a battery powered one. It came with two batteries. All I got to do is just, you know, have swap, charge one up. I yep. have one ready to swap out at any time. <laughs> yep. It's quick and easy, simple for me to take. It, it, yeah. It's even easier to manage like the string and stuff. I don't know. Everything about it is so much easier than mm -hmm. what I was using. Mm -hmm. And I'm already thinking like, all right, the next time I need a lawnmower, I'm probably going to do right? a battery lawnmower. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, again, the snowblower, I've got, you know, the leaf blower, which I don't really need that much anymore, but I, you know, just for the grass for the most part. All these small engine uh, mechanics I, are cringing I, right I know. Now. I'm sure they are, but I, <laughs> you, I'm seeing right? the value. You've got the little Ma and Pa Toro shop or whatever <laughs> and the, 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 all those guys. But, but you're right. It's so much easier. It is. It because really I've is. had that gas-powered weed whacker that lasted one year. Yeah. And it's like, yep. oh, and I don't know. I don't have the, the wherewithal to yeah, I'm modify not a mechanic. the carburetor yeah, exactly. on this or, you know, somewhat mechanically inclined. But, not. yeah, it's right. like, I don't right. have the time to do this. That's a pretty good one, yeah, Dean. Yeah, like snow it. blowing. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. All, All right, right, Dean. Here's my headline. Russia to depart ISS. So this is the International right, Space Station, right, yep. which we belovingly have talked about. And we knew it was getting shuttered, right? right. It was going to, I think it was going to burn up. They're just going to abandon it. And yeah, there was and some let point it, in the 2030s when, yeah. when they were going to abandon it and go, well, that's been uh, accelerated. Accelerated. Yeah. <laughs> When, when <laughs> half of your partners have bailed out? The yeah. international... So Russia's pulling out as of 2024. So you only got about two more years. And, and you might ask yourself, well, that's okay. Maybe it can still live. Well, Russia is responsible for maintaining the facility's <laughs> orbital trajectory. Yeah, that's so kind of important. That's a little bit important, yeah. don't you think? Making sure it actually stays where it's supposed to be. <laughs> so if yeah. It's, yeah, if it's not in the correct orbital trajectory, <laughs> is that something that you're getting on? Uh, no, not so much. Yeah, no, I don't want to be up know. there when it decides to start just, you know, go lopsided and fall into the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So or at, spin off into space somewhere. Yeah. At this point, it's not clear how the space station will continue to run without Russia uh, helping here. So here you go. There's yeah. one of the spinoffs of when you go to war and you really make a mess of the world yep. like Russia yep. has. Well, yeah, of course they're going to depart the International Space Station and... I don't know. Maybe I would think it's going to make soon. a lot of a lot of countries very hesitant to work with them for any future projects oh, like this too. You, you think? Know? I mean, yeah, just a little bit, yeah, right? Absolutely, fall behind on a lot of that stuff but, too. But I mean, because we're talking about moon stations now, and yeah. you know, colonizing Mars in the future. Yeah. I mean, but but if they are actually involved in the trajectory, now I got my maniacal mind going. Oh like, no, are, are they just going to let it crash and burn into <laughs> wherever? You know, God forbid the yeah, Ukraine hopefully they can't, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, hopefully they can't aim it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure they could, like a controlled whatever. Oh, that would oh, be awful. The trajectory's a little off. Sorry about that. It's going to be landing in Dallas. You know, there's oh. a million ways we could have thought, like, World War Three <laughs> might start, but, you know. Yeah, it's the International <laughs> we Space. Hi we hired an intern. 
that guy for the same money. And so ASOC, the intern, ended up making a decimal right, right. change, yeah. and it's on its way to Mars. Oh, well. We told him control S, not control X. He got it confused. We're so sorry. <laughs> anyway, that's what was tech connecting with me. So keep an eye on the ISS. Okay, I don't we'll know. Do. It's yeah. got no trajectory at this point in time. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. There you yeah. go. John, what's up with you? Uh, so, okay, um, carbon dating has been a, Ooh, a, yes. a pretty common way of you know Uh-oh. figuring out how old something yes. is. And you know we've used it a lot for fossils, obviously, you know, to yes. understand like how old something is. Mm-hmm. And for anybody that doesn't understand this concept, you know, it's the idea that there's natural carbon in the atmosphere. I think carbon-14 is the, the, the mm-hmm. isotope we're typically talking about. All living things absorb it into their bodies over mm-hmm. time, and basically, you know, when something is dead and the and they start decaying, that carbon starts very, very slowly decaying away as well. And we can date, you know, how in old something pattern. is in a predictable right. pattern, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, um, fossil fuel emissions are causing issues with that. Oh, and basically, carbon dating will become a a, a useless a useless opportunity. Seriously, in the not too distant future, really, it was actually expected to happen anyway, just based on the amount of carbon that is either is or isn't in our atmosphere anyway. Okay, so. Apparently, like uh, this was this was a really interesting article about this, and as always, I'm, I'm linked all this stuff in our show notes. Uh, but basically, they were there was this discussion about the idea that you know there was some spikes over the years, and one of them happened during the nuclear testing back in the the 50s and 60s. Oh, sure, huge spikes of carbon 14 <laughs> in the air during that time, which was all all well and good, I guess, for you know carbon dating. But that now, because we have so much CO2 entering the atmosphere that is not containing carbon 14. And is dis- dispersing it. Okay. That now, unfortunately, items that it look like that have the carbon fourteen in when they start dating them now, something let's say from only I don't know, let's say 60, 70 years ago, okay. will have much less carbon potentially in it than something that you know th- mm. where it should be yep, based yep, on yep, hundreds yep, yep. of years ago or thousands or millions of years ago. Got or whatever. it. Got it. So like the the whole you know n- noting like okay by half life or by however much it's supposed to have, this predictable measure of what amount of carbon is supposed to be in something based on its age mm-hmm. is completely out of whack now yeah. because there's so much less being actually absorbed to begin with ah. that we no longer... And, and, and apparently, again, a lot of that's happening because the CO2 is kind of pushing it out and keeping less, you know, keeping it from being as absorbed as it was before. Interesting. I'm probably explaining this very badly. Again, I read this article. So, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, kind so of even like a thousand it. years from now, carbon dating is not going to really exactly. have Exactly. And again, they now. kind of expected that to happen anyway, mm-hmm. but the process has been dramatically accelerated over the last 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. because of emissions. And Where does this going. end? Where does I, the, I, I mean, I'm, okay, so the whole world's going to hell. We get that, but it's like, <laughs> is it the song, Everything Gives You Cancer, Everything We Do Is Burning, you know? I don't know. I, I kind of feel like we're even carbon like, dating yeah, like, messed up. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> who knew, who knew? You know, we can't. We're no one's gonna be able to figure out how old something is anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and be able to identify you know fossil remains or anything. You know, it's here's what's gonna happen. Like, assuming this planet lasts long enough, a million years down the road, yeah. somebody's gonna be trying to figure out like, hey, was this from the 20th century or the 28th century? <laughs> I don't know. You know. No idea. Could have been anywhere. Can you imagine how much you're gonna mess up like your like your interpretation of history and timelines? Right. And, yeah. I, mean, I guess we'll have you know hopefully some written history to yeah. you know elaborate well, there on. There you that. go. But still, yeah. Yeah. digital, so. digital. Yeah. So that's that's what's kind of not tech connecting. Right. That yep. was a little. There's a little some doom and gloom. There, so. yeah. yeah. Exactly. Carbon dating out the window. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that does it for us today. Dean Fru from SML. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dean. You're welcome. Thank you.
Uh, until ne- until next time, um, go buy yourself a battery powered uh, snowblower. Lawn, uh, lawn, oh, okay, yeah, yeah right. lawn or snowblower item. Yeah, yeah that's uh, handy. Uh, maybe find a way to absorb some carbon fourteen into yourself so you can be properly gated in the future. And as always, and please don't get on the space. Don't, don't get, get on, on the space, space station. station. <laughs> yes. Not now. <laughs> as always, please stay connected. <laughs> TechNet Podcast is brought to you by Elo. All right, Dean, you referenced in this episode the cannabis industry yes. and their need for RFID solutions. That's, That's right. A big part of what, you know, can help them uh, operate end-to-end. Yes. Uh, but the cannabis dispensary owners require reliable, easy-to-use hardware designed to withstand the rigors of continuous use. This is true. While consumer products often fail to deliver, ELO's commercial-grade solutions provide an advantage offering manageability, long life cycle, durability, ease of support, warranty, and flexibility. We're talking about this a lot, the cannabis dispensaries, mm-hmm. people have this reputation sometimes that they're going to be shady places because it's, you know, cannabis they're high or whatever. Tech, dude. Like, no. Yeah, These are some of the nicest retail yes, establishments absolutely. you will ever enter. Mm-hmm. I haven't been in any myself, but, you know, you've seen enough pictures of them. They look pretty slick. They're yeah. pretty cool places. Yeah. And if if that's the case, you want really cool, dynamic uh, mm-hmm. touchscreen technology mm-hmm. in there, too. So yep. from all-in-one POS systems, flexible monitors, and easy-to-connect peripherals to eye-catching displays, self-service kiosks, and mobile computers for inventory management, Elo offers a variety of modern, engaging solutions for your dispensary customers. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact the Blue Star Elo team. TechNet Podcast is brought to you by Zebra. The long-awaited potential of consistent and reliable RFID is here and within reach. Uh, Leverage Zebra's decades of expertise, design thinking, and software development to help your customers achieve maximum RAIN RFID efficiency while minimizing the pains of multi-vendor solutions. Unlike other players, Zebra gives you the industry's broadest, field-proven RFID portfolio for unmatched accuracy and interoperability. Connect it all and create a platform that elevates every system, device, tag, and worker. With Zebra, you're powered by a brand that customers already know and trust your sales process is accelerated by a team of zebra experts there to help earn your customers business at every stage zebra rfid is ready to help you open doors and close sales i have a question real okay quick. go for it. what more do you need i don't know <laughs> right I, 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 I mean just just like a complete solution right there boom done exactly yes so okay so i like this line though zebra rfid is ready to help you open doors and close sales you know what it reminds me oh, of nice. it reminds me of the end of the godfather yes when michael closes the door on Kay, kind of shutting her out of the business yeah all his darker deeds yes kind of, maybe that's not what zebra was going for but <laughs> but, I, but they will help you close the door on your competitors that's boom there probably a lot less murdery though yes Yes, Take yes. the RFID, leave the cannoli. Dude, know. but when you walk in the door with a complete solution and everything that they have to offer, done. That's right. Yeah. Uh, to learn more about Zebra's line of RFID printers and readers, visit the link in the show notes or contact the Zebra team here at Star. Yeah.